Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello and welcome to this. It is the Rugby Dungeon. Thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing. As always, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at jbeardmore, but this podcast is at the Rugby Dungeon. Anyway, I am delighted to be joined by England and Exeter prop, Harry Williams. How are you, Harry? Yeah, I'm good, thanks, mate. Not too bad. How are you? Yeah, good, thanks, mate. Um, training today? Uh, yeah, we had training today. Uh, on Wednesday, we, we only do a half day, but we were like kept behind because we had to do like, squad photo and that kind of thing. And then we uh, did like get the gay images, pictures, you know, the headshots and all that kind of stuff. We got standing, we were arms folded and that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, well, I actually went to the I went to the sale equivalent last year when they have to do all their headshots and do the team photo. And they decided it would be a good idea to do not only the team photo, but the team photo for Christmas in the blazing sun. So you've got all these lads getting ready for Christmas in the sun with the little Christmas hats on. But what, did they, did, why, why were they putting that out? I don't understand. Why were they in Christmas hats? <laughs> because... Well, they sat in the picture of them in the squad wearing, all wearing Christmas hats. Well, they were doing the squad photo, and instead of doing one at Christmas, they thought they'll do two squad photos in summer, and then they just made everyone wear Christmas hats. But I don't know why, you know, why stop there? Why, why, why not go for Easter, Ramadan? Why, why not do, do the whole lot? <laughs> but I don't know, I don't know what the... I don't think that's done. I not. I don't think every team does. I've never heard. That's the first example I've ever heard of it's people a li- wearing Christmas hats. I don't see who would buy that picture. Well, you're actually pretty avid. I, I, suppose, uh, I guess it's for the website and. Uh... Um, well, of course, yes. For marketing, the, marketing. Yeah, exactly for the programs as well. Now, the first thing which stands out to me, Harry, is you don't sound like you're from Exeter. No, no, I'm not from Exeter. I'm from uh, I'm from London, actually, South London. So- um, Near up and all, it's like near uh, near Croydon. I went to school in Croydon. Ah, so how on earth did you end up in Exeter then? What, what what's your what's your route into this fine club? Uh, I went pretty much. I finished school and I was involved um, with wasps for like quite a few years, but only like quite periphery, on like the periphery, the outer periphery, like academy sort of stuff. And then went to New Zealand when I first finished, just for like seven months, which was which was a lot of fun. Then went to uni of Loughborough after that, and then. Ah. Went and signed for Jersey in the championship, and then signed for Mexico from there. So, bit of a journeyman actually. I'm gonna break it down. Yeah, how, how old are you now? Uh, I'm 26, 27 in a month actually. Which is tell you daunting. what, uh, you're at that you're at that frightening age now where you still feel young, but in two years' time you're very very old by rugby standards. Do you reckon? Oh yeah, I think so. And this is just from my experience playing, which is I felt when I was twenty-seven. Yeah, yeah, still, still young. By the time I got to twenty-nine, thirty, I thought, oh my god, I'm now, I'm now one of the eldest here. Yeah, that's true. Actually, it happens. I don't really, I don't really like breaking down. Like, what, what position did you play though? 
Uh, well, I play basically across uh, back row, second row, that kind of thing. Well, utility forward. Utility forward. A bit of hooker. No, oh, right. Now and again. Mobile <laughs> <laughs> loose said. No, I, uh, I don't know. I think if you're a pro, you've probably got time on your side a little bit, haven't you? So, oh, definitely. Obviously, you know, you, I think when you turn 30, things probably do maybe go down a little bit. But I don't know. But it's way off now. It's way off yet, though. Jesus Christ. Well, I mean, it's, only, it's only two more pre-seasons, mate. Three more pre-seasons. Yeah, that's a long time, though. Three more pre-seasons ago, I'd only just come... To, you know what I mean? Yeah. I, mean, I think you're I think you're sort of like brushing over it a little bit too quickly there, but that's all right. It's <laughs> well, it will go quick, it will go quick. It well, will who, who's the oldest man in, in your squad? Is it uh, Stevenson, probably? I actually don't know. I think it might be Elvis Tony, but no one really knows his age. Oh, really? Yeah. I, th- I, think it, I think it might be him or, or Gareth. Yeah, it was definitely Kai last year. I think he was like 36. Yeah. Well, t- so he works in the office now. Oh, does he? Well, yeah, because he... He captained inside last year, didn't he, for the LV Cup? Because I didn't even, I didn't actually realise he, he he didn't he played the final. But that might have been his last appearance for the first team. Um, yeah, full stop. Actually, for like, I think the Premiership it might have been. Yeah, the final might have been. I mean, that's that's that is quite an incredible thing. Yeah, no, he had a really nice. I think it's quite. I think obviously I don't want to speak on Kai's behalf, but I think when you probably get a bit more senior, and your last few games are like cup finals and wins and all that kind of stuff it's probably quite a nice way to bow out of it rather than sort of I think sometimes maybe the problem with professional sport is especially when you either don't leave under your own steam or you leave you know like you start playing badly and then eventually you get dropped and you kind of just like fizzle out I think it's, it's quite nice to finish on like a couple of big performances and then you sort of can go out under your own steam a little bit I oh, complete, com- completely agree there. What I quite like about Exeter is you've got a real mix there. I mean, you've got a lot of young lads coming through, and I think they get all of the attention. And you know, to be fair, rightly so. Um, but like, there are lads in your in your squad still. I mean, I talk about Gareth Steenson all the time. I don't think there'll ever be another player who will win the championship and the Premiership with the same team. Do you not reckon? No, that's an amazing achievement when you think about it. So you've got to win the win the win the championship with the same team, and then spend a few years in the Premiership and then win that as well. I think yeah, it's actually I've never really thought about it like that. It is quite. I suppose the only team that probably you could potentially think about doing it maybe Bristol like down the line if they had like a player similarly who just been in and around the squad for like so long. Yeah, but then to actually play, I suppose like it's been a long time players because it was, I think we won we got promo was like eight years ago or nine years ago. Yeah, that's a long time to sort of been playing so consistently and then for the team to to come up as well consistently. It's uh yeah, and I never really thought about that to be fair. Yeah, and also it's another thing. I mean, it'd be one thing, wouldn't it, if he was like I don't know a, a winger or you know like a second row. You know, the club stalwart second row. But to be a fly yeah. half and do it as well is even is even more incredible, actually. Oh no! Really? How how do you why do you speak to uh, Gareth? You know what I'm asking. Uh, because I interviewed him for this. All oh, right. Oh, okay. Fair enough. So, yeah, yeah. So the guys I've had on from Exeter um, are Tom Johnson. Did did you play with him? Oh uh, yeah, he was there. Yeah, he was there for my first my first two years. Uh, corporate Chris. Um, uh, Gareth Steenson was that corporate Chris when he was working at corporate was he still playing at the, at the time no no it was corporate Chris working at corporate yeah uh, and Kai Horseman was that when Kai, Kai Horseman was playing of course not when he uh, yes it was, was corporate. last year or the year before I don't know the thing about corporate is I don't do you think do you think right do you think to be good at corporate do you think you can like develop 
skills you need to do it, or do you think some people are just born into it and just got like a natural propensity towards it? Yeah, that's a good question, actually. I mean, I, I don't know. Corporate's, corporate's interesting, right? Because a lot of it is, you know, all the bits that you see are the bits wearing the blazer, ha- having a drink, and then entertaining, you know, the various tables who were there watching yeah. the game. I think the hard bit is like the day-to-day grind of actually having to report uh, report to the office, look smart, make your sales calls, try and get the guys interested. Uh, and also, you know, it must be weird for guys who were who have got name recognition among the fans and they're bought into corporate because of their name recognition, but maybe when they phone up, you know, the local business, they don't know who, you know, who this ex-player is. I, I think I that would be really they, they need to phone up local business. Oh, I actually didn't even realise that was even like a part of the job description. I thought you just kind of, I actually didn't really know what they did. Yeah, you know, absolutely. I thought I just went along on Saturday and asked and did the Q&A stuff. <laughs> well, I, I think there is, I think there is a Q&A stuff when you're moving into it, but I think once you're full-time corporate there, you know, you've actually got to get on the phone, talk to businesses and, you know, get them, you know, get them to fill, fill up your stadium. Yeah, we are. How do you? How are you uh, in like? Because obviously, you do this, and you are kind of speaking to a lot of people, I suppose, mm. on like a large scale. But it's kind of it's not very personal, is it? Because you're actually fun, fundamentally you're just sort of speaking into a monitor. How are you actually speaking in front of like a, a group full of a room like full of like people, let's say like six hundred people or something like that? Oh goodness me! I do you know what? I'd be terrified to speak in front of six hundred people. I'd be absolutely terrified. Um, yeah. How how would I do it? I'd do it very very badly, Harry. Do you reckon? <laughs> yeah, it'd be an absolute disaster. Mind you, we... Do- I don't know, really. I think it's... Do you know what I think the, the key is? The key is to be punchy. That's what, I, that's what I think. I think if you go anywhere too long, people just every, automatically lose interest unless you're, like, unbelievably gripping. I think if you go for longer than, like, 15 minutes yeah. to 20 minutes, then it's just, like, you 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 know, you're fine losing battle. Like. 15 minutes talking, though, is a long, long time. When you say punchy, do you mean as in... Punchy with you know controversial opinions, or do you mean punchy as in? I actually, you know what? I think that when people are forcibly controversial for the sake of it, I think it's a little bit cringe. I think that what people appreciate is sincerity. So if you actually are, if you're just like a decent fellow, sort of, you know, yeah, punching in, punching out, one foot in front of the other, and he just then you're showing that. I think people respect. If you're just kind of up there saying mad stuff to try and get some sort of reaction, then. People kind of people see through it a little bit, especially when you're laying, I suppose, like laying yourself bare in front of so many people, like talking in front of an audience. Yeah. Well, let's try this then for a quick instant reaction. So you went from school, right, and you went straight over yeah. to New Zealand. Is is that roughly right? Or were you wasps then New Zealand? No, I was at wasps, um, and basically I played in. Um, I played for Staines, who were at the time they were in that free team. They've fallen, they've fallen off now. I'm not sure they're in like one of the bottom leagues, but they, I basically played for them from August uh, to January when I left. And they, I think they like part funded my flights and most part funded my flights. And then when I got over there, I was like set with a team and I lived in the flat above the changing rooms and the gym and stuff. And then like they let us stay there as long as we like cleaned oh, up awesome. after the game on a Saturday and that kind of stuff. So it, it was good. It was real. Like it was very. There was no pressure and i think when you're younger mm-hmm. that's what i sort of find quite the reason why i was quite looking looking now i'm a little bit older now i was nearly that was like eight years ago or seven years ago is that when to have those experiences when you're young and you don't have the pressure of like a professional environment and you can kind of just do your own thing for it i think it kind of stands you in good stead later down the line because i really appreciate now any opportunity i get really 
and it's all I don't I don't it's not something that I've been kind of like grinding on for years and years yeah um, or, or, I used to say that I've, I've been playing like full time now for, for this is my fifth season but it's I'm not sort of like bored of it at all I'm like really like I enjoy going in the training I enjoy getting the opportunity and I think that sometimes if you're in it from when you're like because some players come into it ridiculously young I just, I just don't see how they couldn't eventually like 12 years in say, and they're only like not even 30 how they couldn't find it like a bit of a chore to just sort of like continually grind because they've just been doing they haven't known anything different a little bit do you, do you still find it exciting? Uh, yeah, I still find it exciting. Loud up. Nah, it's not like you, you. No, no player could ever say that they go to training every day and they're like absolutely buzzing for it and they're like excited to go and train when they've got like a hard day's grind. And sometimes you, you just got to kind of like chew through it. Yeah. But like the experiences of playing and sort of I'm playing all these like, different stadiums and I've been to all that kind of stuff is in like yeah, like unbelievably exciting. Yeah, because I'm I'm with you on this, which is I I almost get a little bit upset when I meet the guys who are 12 years in. And they're a little bit jaded by, for what for for what a lot of rugby fans is like, you know, the dream of being able to play prof- professional rugby. But actually, after twelve years, it is just it's just a job. Yeah, I think it is, and I think you probably just get like acclimatized to it, and you don't. But it's as if you don't know anything, like I suppose outside of the environment a little bit. And that's not for when it's for their own. It's hard to because it is very all encompassing when you. It's like any other job. It's hard. Like I, to be fair, I've got mass. I've got the utmost respect for players who can do so much off the field to sort of like push themselves and bear themselves. Like I don't do as much as I should. I don't actually know many players that do as much as they should. But like the few who do, yeah, it's like basically like having like a another job on on top of what you're already doing, which is already so intensive. Mm. That that it is like it's it's, some, it's it's definitely something. There's definitely people that should be sort of like admired, I suppose, by the by the other players around the league. Yeah, uh, I completely completely agree. Now, when you talk about people that do things outside of their other job, I, I guess you're referring to people like you know, uh, guy who springs to mind immediately, someone like James Haskell, who seems to be yeah. the busiest man on on earth. His his work ethic alone should be greatly greatly admired. I'd say so, but I think that's been like just generally it, the sort of thing I find is weird is like the, the power of social media. So it's like the the now companies or whatever say you were trying to promote yourself, they wouldn't even consider you as like a potential candidate, I guess, if you didn't, if you weren't like what I said, influencer on social yeah. media, which is like quite frightening, I suppose, for the way that it's gone. Because now it's like people won't even be considered unless they have like how many followers and their their web, I suppose, web of like influence is, is however big. Mm. So I don't know. I, think, I don't actually think. I think generally not not just on a run thing. I don't actually think it's a good way four things to go and I think eventually the the situation will come to a bit of a head and people probably will get sick of like having to your you know everyone's lives like constantly mapped out on social media and you 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 know you're feeling like it's compulsory like it's compulsory activity you have to like put everything uh, out there in yeah. order to be get recognition do you do you feel that pressure yourself not really I've only got I've only got Twitter and I know I sort of I'm more actually on um any other social media I actually, I actually sort of because I was like chatting to someone about it the other day, and I, I would I would actually say that surely if you weren't on anything, you'd your stock would actually be rarer than someone who <laughs> is putting out is putting out so much stuff because you're not because the only way you could be reached I suppose would be like if they actually spoke to you in person, or if you went to an event. So surely, but then I just don't think it works like that. I just really don't think companies see it like that at all. They only see, no, we need to brand our, uh, you know, we need to do this, we need to do that, so we need you to 
post this, this and this, and we'll give you, you know, X, Y, and Z. Do you know what? That is a phenomenal point. I've never actually thought of it like that. Like, the things that you say should be a resource which is scarce. And it makes a lot of sense, you know, if you want to hear something. I think you should be, and I think it probably would, if you were like, because sort of, I think that like rugby, while it's, it's growing, I think, quite a lot, that it's still so, like, compared to, like, massive sports, I suppose in this country you'd say, like, football and then all like, the American sports, like, they're, though, those fellas probably doesn't really matter and they can pretty much do what they want because those people don't need to work to get the to get the coverage. Anyway, they're, 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 they're literally it will come to them because they're, they're seen on such a massive scale. Yeah, but... but do, I think they're, do, they're a very, they're probably, they're, I, don't know if, I don't know if there's any rugby players that are anywhere near that, that level of notoriety, really. Well, you make you make another good point, which is when you think about like true A-listers, like you know the guys at the top of their game, like Hollywood types, ty- uh, Hollywood types, they don't have a huge social media presence. In fact, they hardly have any, because they don't want to be seen until they're ready. They're ready to be seen, I guess. I, mean, I don't. I don't yeah. think a guy like Brad Pitt has has a has a Twitter. Yeah, it's true. Actually, he doesn't have any. He doesn't have anything. But then. I'd say it's pretty. It's like one of those like inverted youthies. It's like you probably you need, you need it up to a point, and then after a while you're just like, I just actually don't want the. I just don't want. The, I don't want the ag of like having to, like catalogue my life. I don't even need to because if you were to like leave that, there's these people if they leave the house, they literally get mobbed by people who want to speak to them and that kind of thing. Yeah, no, I I completely agree. I've never thought of you know your your opinions or you know your social media profile or lack of it as being a scarce resource, and it actually does make. Uh, make an awful lot of sense. Um, just, yeah. just a quick one. When you first started playing for Staines, then, um, what what level was that? That was National Three, so level National Three. So level five, yeah. Level wow. Five. So straight from so from National National Three. I mean, yeah, you know, it's still National Leagues. It's still 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 a, a really good standard. Um, that that's one hell of a jump then to go. To go into Jersey. Oh, I no, think sorry, it was Wasps. now. But Jersey came quite a late, so I was playing no. for them. I was, I played for Staines and I played for Loughborough for a couple of years. Then I went to then I was on loan at Nottingham. We were championship. Ah. I, I played I played like all the leagues like incrementally as the years went on. I was sort of like went from that three and then Loughborough in that two and then we got promoted to that one and then Nottingham in the championship. But I wasn't like I, I definitely wasn't a starter in Nottingham. I was I could only go to about half the sessions because I had to go drive over there. Um, and then uh, sort of go to my lectures and stuff like that. Well, um, yeah. But then once I went to Jersey, I was, I'd say I was more of a firm part of the squad. So that was kind of still like finding myself in the in the championship, and then and then um, and then obviously on to Exeter after that. And then uh, Exeter, it was like the I, initially I I I didn't I think I was a little bit naive onto how things actually are. I think when you go into um, when you go into like the, the premiership environment you're you are starting as like a bottom rung of the ladder and it takes a long time or a lot of luck mm. which i actually fortunately got to work your way into a position to play to even sort of keep your spot in the squad why why do you think you're lucky i mean i, I think I'm, I think I'm lucky because in my first year um i played i didn't play for the first half of the year and then murray and uh Franny both went off to the Six Nations, so it kind of freed up a spot yeah. on the bench, basically, because Alex Brown was also there at the time. And then he sort of went and played, and then I sort of got a spot off the bench. And then 
had like a run of a few okay games and then but even then Mori came back and I sort of had to had to sort of weigh my turn again but then Tom actually got banned for a few weeks and it kind of just it's sort of like it's these sort of little things happen and you kind of find yourself in positions to play but it's when I'd say the, the that's the sort of the luck part but then the part where you need to perform is that you're when you're given the opportunity is to basically keep your shirt yeah, I, I think it's amazing that you think that, that that you're lucky. But you know, when you put it like that, you know, clearly circumstances played a role. But the, the, I mean, yeah, I mean, the they reason did, that... they did, I think, I think you're, I think if you don't accept that when you when you initially go up, you, which is why I don't really think I I sort of you you go in with this kind of like, you utopia like oh I'll go in there and everyone will be given a fair crack. But it isn't really like that. You when you go into a uh, like a top flight setup, you they the coaches need to know that you can be trusted, and, and to get the sort of the trust of the coaches, if it isn't foisted upon them where they sort of have to play, it takes a long time. Yeah, yeah, it, it's just you know when you think when you think about the player saying that that he was lucky to start, and now you're involved with the England setup, it sounds very very humbling when you say um, luck played a big part in it. I think look, I think look, I think being so there was sometimes it's better to be lucky than me good is actually like I don't buy into it 100% but I think this it does you can feather your bed as, as, as well as you want but it, the same the same applies at all levels the same applies with coaches so if you look at like someone like uh, Alex Ferguson yeah. he obviously put a lot of work into bringing in that sort of crop of young players when he um, when he initially came in and then by the time they were all sort of you know at their peak they had like a an unbelievable team the, the, the treble winning team but you sort of think about the amount of like teams that have, that have had good crops of players and they've either left or they haven't quite come through or they've got injured. The the the, the, the sort of the fortune plays a plays a big part, I think, especially for coaches, for players, for everyone, really. I do completely agree with that point. Um, going back to getting the coaches to trust you and stuff. Um, you know, if you were to do it again at Exeter and you wanted to get a coach's a coach's trust, but you're at the, that bottom rung of the ladder, how would you go about doing that? I mean, what what do you think coaches think, want think, from you? I think the, what is good about Exeter from and I, and I sort of my actual I, the only other experience I have of any other team is um, I suppose by the by the England stuff is is is, is and I said I wasn't really involved. Is that I think you just got to the role gives you the opportunity to, to, to show it in training and the training is, is intense. Mm. So if you consistently show that you're, that you're sort of mucking in with the other players who they know, who they know are good, then you put yourself on their radar a little bit. And then it's just basically about biding your time, staying fit, staying healthy and doing everything you can do yeah. to get in a position where they actually think, all right, well, we'll give this, we'll give this lad a shot. Do you, have you ever gone up to a coach and sort of bent his ear and said, look, uh, I know you, I know I'm not in your considerations right now, but you know, Give me a chance. Um, I think I, I think yeah. I've, I, was, I sort of what I sort of, the, the, Ben Ben in the coach's ear. I think it only really goes so far, and you always see these like. I remember because I I'm actually, I was actually quite when I when I sort of finished school and stuff. I was actually quite at odds with the whole um, like school England school setup and stuff like that because the, the sort of you see these parents are like are like county festival stuff actually bending the ears of these like county county coaches who are you know fundamentally they're amateurs they're not they're not they're not paid to be there they're off their own free will yeah and i think on those sorts of, on those sorts of it does actually have an effect but i think when you get older and the coaches just like they're, they're sort of they'll, they'll they'll hear you out but i don't think it, ultimately i don't think it has that much of an effect really so you're probably better to just 
let let things play out and let things be the way they be. Because when I was when I was younger and stuff, I used to get really annoyed and like really frustrated when um when I wasn't kind of in the running and stuff like that. And it's just all you kind of do, you just make yourself look petulant if you're just continually going on about it. And you just got to there comes a point where you just got to like get your head down and get on with it, really. Yeah, I I think that's something which you learn late like later on in life. I, I was I was exactly the same when I was younger. I'm probably still am a bit petulant now. Truth be told. But yeah, you just need to knuckle down and you know carry on training or just carry on doing the thing which will get which will get you noticed. Yeah, definitely. I think that's just that's if I was to go back, that's that's, that's probably what I would have said to myself. But I think that was for the, for the, or certainly for the last few years, I've, I feel like I have done that to the best of my ability. Mm. Yeah, the, the reason I asked that actually that question about you know have you ever bent, a co- bent the coach's ear is because I have experienced a few, fair few coaches in the professional game. When you know, just talking around, and you get a, a an impression of certain players about certain coaches that that coach doesn't like being approached, or it's he's the uh, big man uh, in in the club, and you're only spoken to, so you only answer when spoken to, that kind of thing. And I think those guys sort of lose out because the player feedback just doesn't come back to them. Do you reckon? Definitely, definitely. I'll give you an example. I was um, present when a certain coach, and we sat down to have a meeting. The young player came in, kind of backs, and, and this guy's like six foot four, plays num- plays number eight, big lad. Coach looks up at him, and goes, "Why are you here? Get out now!" And all of a sudden, this lad goes from six foot four to about five foot two, and he just looks like an absolute child. I thought that is not a kid that is going to respond well or give that coach particularly good feedback. Well, just yeah, no, I suppose I think it's just. You probably shouldn't do that. So yeah, I think there's. He's probably not sure that's not the best way to go about things. Because yeah, because the more that I you know delve into professional rugby, I think a lot of coaches can get to where they are. And Exeter, I don't believe, is one of these places at all. But no, because no, definitely not, definitely not. The coach is a bully. You know, the, the coach can sort of bully his way to the top. Rugby can reward that kind of personnel personality. Do you think it can? I don't 100%. know. I think it's. I think that like that. I think that that sort of stuff like browbeating and that's kind of. I think it is running its course a little bit and like being more humanitarian and caring about the players goes goes a lot further. If if you feel if you trust someone, you're 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 always bound to get more out of them. If you're not do you ever have you seen that thing on Netflix called uh, Last Chance You? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I've seen that. It's quite well the new the new season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The one uh, Jason uh, not Jason Brown. Yeah, J- is it Jason, yeah, it Brown? Jason Brown? Yeah. JB, Jason yeah, Jason Brown, Brown. yeah. Like I just sort of, it's weird. But with that, I just sort of think like, I don't know how one person could get so stressed about college football. It's quite like alarming, really. It's like you, it, it's just, and surely that can't be the best, the best way to to manage people. But but then it's quite weird. Cause I, so I watched an interview with Malik Henry, the quarterback, and oh, he yeah. apparently said that him and the him and the coach have like a really good relationship, and that they sort of that he that they they're in a position with each other where they. That they get on well enough where they can just talk to each other how they want. So it doesn't matter. So sometimes they like just just cuss each other or whatever. And he says a lot of the time it's like them going over film or talking normally. So now I'm thinking either he's either been told to say that by his coach or they've just edited it to make it look like they've got like, this really bad relationship, which actually isn't the case. I have no doubt that editing plays a massive part in all of this. Um, but I tell you the bit about Malik Henry. And by the way, this is very very niche. If you haven't watched Last Chance of You, but the, it was almost heartbreaking actually. Did you notice? In the last episode, when he's talking to his dad and his dad's friend, and they're having a laugh, and he's just got this dead look in his eyes, like if I don't make if I don't make it in in um, in this sport, 
you know, all hell bricks loose. He just looked like a guy who was completely numb to all of the expectation. It, it was just sad. It was a really sad scene. Yeah, I know. It was just it's sort of... But then I was, you wonder, like, what this... When I was watching the while I got from it, it was like, this kid clearly doesn't want to... He doesn't really Does care it? that much about it. And if you, go, if you don't... If you're basically, like, just, like, trying to thrash someone and tell them they have to do something and they, and they fundamentally don't want to do it, then it's like you're just... It's like flogging a dead horse. What's the point? And he's because yeah, I thought that because he spoke about baseball and his dad said, "Oh, he really liked playing baseball." <laughs> yeah, so and we stopped him like, doing that. Yeah, then it was, but I was thinking, like, what, what, what's so wrong with actually playing baseball? Like, <laughs> yeah. This kid likes pitching. Why don't you just let him pitch? Why, why does he have to play football? It was yeah. quite sort of weird. Like the baseball player, if it's about money, surely baseball players earn a load of money too. Well, not only that, weird. there's also more jobs. You can play double A, triple A. You know, you don't have to play big league. You can go and play all sorts of of uh, baseball. Beach. Yeah. You've seen that every year now. The um, I don't know. It's quite. It was quite like. Yeah, I know. I felt, but the same. He had quite like a. He had a very sort of like nonchalant attitude. Yeah, to, 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 to the to the whole setup. But it's just, you sort of. I sort of got the impression it was like this. Just there was just no point in just like, but it was like the more he sort of like retracted and was just obviously not keen. It was more he kind of got pushed and pushed and pushed that he had to do this. Yeah. Sort of force thread down his throat a little bit. I, I tell you another really telling point, right? Uh, and again, it was a little bit hot. The whole storyline is a little bit heart wrenching. But when Malik Henry, who is the quarterback, just filling in, filling in the listeners who don't know this, and they and Jason Brown, who was the coach, says he's one of the smartest guys that we have. He's smarter than most of our coaches. And then he does what I consider to be a really good teammate thing, which is try and help, tries to help the other quarterbacks become better quarterbacks. And I thought it was really telling that the quarterback coach didn't want him to talk to the other quarterbacks. I, I mean, I thought that was unbelie- unbelievable, actually. Yeah, that's that's actually a good point because it was it was sort of like weird. He was like he said to them, "Oh, don't stop telling him you can't talk to the quarterback anymore." And it actually seemed like because they brought in the third string guy, didn't they? That's the second right. Yeah. Guy had like fluffed a couple of games. The third string guy for the big rivalry match, and he did seem like he was genuinely trying to like help him out. And they were like, "No, no, you can't do it." But I think what that was about was just job validation because the guy didn't want to be seen that he was like a sort of a redundant part of the machine that he 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 had value as well. Yeah. And if the if the co- if the if the player and the team's doing a better job than him at coaching the quarterbacks, then what's the point in him being there? But, but oh, you can tell that fellow the quarterback coach was under the pump anyway. He was constantly getting like it was abuse. He was he was <laughs> yeah. received from the head coach. It was literally abuse. Yeah, and he was doing it for free. People forget that. Yeah, I couldn't believe that when he said that. I was like, Christ! Like, what what is the? I suppose it's because he wants to get wants to go to one of the the, the proper unis, doesn't he, and sort of or yeah. colleges and. And coach there, but Jesus Christ, kept... it looked like a pretty sorry existence from the from what the the uh, from what the documentary showed. Yeah, I thought I, again, it was just a really a really sad storyline because this guy is absolutely absolutely desperate, and he also just didn't get it. I mean, think about your situation at Exeter, for instance, right? If your coach can leave you alone because the senior players take care of all the lineouts, that is exactly what you should have done. That that is, that is you doing a doing a great job. Yeah, it, it I think it was just. Slight. I think it was just. He probably felt like a bit maybe insecure in himself, and he needed, and he and he, and he felt like he needed to be sort of like. It was just a weird. I, I didn't really understand. It was sort of. He was. It was like Malik had been showing this pretty shoddy light for the whole thing. It was actually seen like he was trying to be a half decent bloke. And yeah. He was just and he was just and he could. He was like, what what can he do apart from to to, to not get abused? I suppose the only thing he can do to not get abused is throw a lot of touchdown passes. Yeah, I, I mean, it. but just think about that. You know, from your point point of view, you know, if you're getting screwed, uh, you're getting screwed in the scrum. Say, 
Yeah, you probably want the advice of the old head or the guy who would be, you know, normally number um, uh, number one or some such thing, pulling aside and say, "Hey, look, just do this slightly differently, or just do that slightly differently." It'd be bizarre yeah. if they weren't allowed to do that. I think, but then I think there is there's like massive difference between like English sport and American sports, just huge. And I think that was like a little microcosm, basically, of the whole system. Because you know the lad who. Um, has just gone over Christian, who's just gone over to play. Oh, for Christian the, Scotland Williamson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I went, I, I went to uni, and we like we're pretty, we're pretty close. And I saw him when he was back in London, and we sort of chatting to him, and just thought, I was actually pretty interested in just asking about like what the differences in that. And he just said it's like, yeah, it's like unbelievably like ridiculously different. It's not. Yeah, well, like the whole like there's you obviously got the, the the fundamentals are probably the same, especially with the higher level professional stuff over here. But just said their approach is just com- like completely different. Yeah. Well, I mean, have you ever seen them warm up? I mean, that is completely foreign to anyone who plays rugby. They get them all in a big like grid, and you jump up and down on the spot. It still works, I'm sure. <laughs> but, like... but I think that's that's just a that's just the whole American thing, isn't it? It's like English. I mean, we've got our, our senses of irony are too highly tuned to do that kind of thing <laughs> yeah. I couldn't stand in a circle and jump up and down and say I was going to kill someone because it's just I'd just be like what am I doing I'm like a complete tit yeah. stood in the middle of this circle yeah and, and also American football right people don't realise this but for rugby players and they don't translate into it too well maybe rugby players translate into American football is better than American footballers translate into rugby players but I'd, have you ever had the chance to play rugby with an American football player because I have a few times and they are dreadful at rugby it just doesn't translate. Isn't, I think they 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 teach the tackle area like completely differently. Yeah, they, yeah, completely. And and the sport, and they are they are actually quite different games. I think that I think Christian's going really well, which, which obviously you know sort of it made everyone everyone like you know anyone I know who knows him is like buzzing for him when you know obviously really wants him to succeed. Yeah, I think that the the, the fact that he, because he's just they they put their, they put their head on like the complete wrong side. It's all about like hitting with a helmet or something like that thing rather than actually like tackling. Yeah, well, what we would deem to be correct technique. Yeah, well, yeah, the head's on the wrong side. What they say um, is it cut through them and then gl- and then grab cloth. So you, you're putting your head on the wrong side, and they say grab cloth. So they do say wrap the arms, but you never see any evidence of that during during the game. But no, there's nothing wrong with. But you don't need to wrap the arms, do you? No, they but they do like, try and shoulder charge them. Like. But they do try and teach that. So when you're doing the fundamentals, it's like you hit on the wrong side, but then you've got to grab cloth, i.e., grab the jersey on the back, allegedly. And then drive through. That's, but you know, you never see any evidence of that actually going down. No, you don't actually. Yeah. So I actually don't watch loads of it. Like one of my housemates watches uh, a lot of American football, like the um, the quad screen or whatever. When, they, when, they, when, they, when, it's, when it's on, and it's sort of like <laughs> what's it called? The red zone. Yeah, not, what is that? The quad? What's it called? Quad box. Quad box. Quad when box. They show all four yeah. games at once. Yeah, that's uh, that's mad. Actually, that's very good coverage. I must say. It's ace. I would love to watch rugby in a similar way. Actually. Would you? Yeah, the only oh, no, yeah. <laughs> the, the only issue is with watching rugby like that. And actually, to a certain degree, American football is you can tell an awful lot about a rugby game just by the sort of the natural feel of the mem- of the momentum. And if you're not yeah. concentrating, if you're going between game to game to game, you you don't get the feel. But do you enjoy? Do you find it exciting to watch rugby union? Oh God, I love it. I mean, I yeah. I literally on a, it sounds so sad, doesn't it? But my favourite my favourite match of the weekend is that Friday night match uh, of the Premiership. I absolutely love it. I'll be 
excited for that match from Thursday until when it comes on on Friday. And it'll be a terrible game and it'll be hammering whoever's down. Whoever's playing, whoever's playing. Just, yeah, yeah, I'll watch anyone. To watch it. Yeah. No, I, actually, I actually must say there's uh, a guilty pleasure of mine also. I don't know, a guilty pleasure, a, a pleasure, I suppose, is watching that Friday night matches. I, don't, I wouldn't say I get excited 24 hours previous, but I do <laughs> watching that. Oh, it's, it's, it's just great. It's in the lights. BT Sport do an amazing job. Um, I think, and this sounds sycophantic, but uh, any event um, which is um, commentated on by Nick Mullins, it automatically elevates it by another 20%. It's, it's just, a, you know, brilliant, which brilliant one is, Which one is Nick Mullins? He's the guy with a real distinctive voice, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. He's a, yeah, no, a real I, gentleman. I, I, gentleman. I, I recognize what's, I, he's one of those guys I always like, I know his voice, but I couldn't put a face to the voice. So, like, I wouldn't. I have no idea what he looks like. You would have seen him on Exeter. Kind of a floating voice in the ether that just commentates on rugby. Yeah, you'd have seen him at Exeter because he makes sure that he goes to whichever team he is commentating on that week. So if if Sale are playing, he'll be at Sale for for the press day that week and be trying to get bits bits and pieces. So you'll have definitely seen him around. Yeah, maybe maybe if I saw him, I kind of I'd recognise him. I can't. I literally can't because I. All the other, all the other sort of like people who comment, especially on the BT stuff, you, you, you know, don't you like facially dislike as soon as they say spoken you put. I just can't, I can't put a face to the name there. Yeah, flats, bafes, who, uh, like whoever it is, you, uh, you know immediately if they're the ex pros. You don't necessarily know who Alistair Eakin is or um, Nick Mullins unless you listen to the voices. Yeah, do they, yeah. Do they have like their own? Do they have a podcast or anything like that? Uh, Nick's been on mine. Uh, Alistair doesn't. Um, but yeah, Nick Nick's done a few. But no, actually, I tell a lie. They would have the, the BT Sport podcast, and they do do that. Yeah, but um, Some platform that fair play. Yeah. How, long, how did you How did you start? Sort of your one. How did you build it and that kind of thing? Like get it from up from the ground running. So going back to BT Sport, there was a guy called Tim Tim Cocker who we spoke about, didn't we? Just uh, prior to the uh, prior to doing this. Yeah. And uh, Tim uh, is a professional radio host as I was going to call him DJ but I think once you get past 30 and you're called a DJ it gets a bit sad so he's 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 not a presenter right and he he worked at XFM in Manchester which is like an indie station and I listened yeah yeah. so I I used to watch a lot of NFL loads of it and what you find is if you want to watch a sport but you're not in that natural in that natural sport market um, the best place to get your information is online or on podcasts. So I started listening to a lot of NFL podcasts, at which point yeah. I thought, well, no one's doing this for, for rugby. Uh, asked him about it. We did one. It was terrible. Uh, we did about a year's worth then, and they were pretty average. And then about after two years or three years, we started getting relatively good at it, and then I set up this one separate, separate to Egg Chasers. But yeah, that, but that's how, how we did. Why, why were they terrible? What's, what's altered is you? Was it because you were unprepared or... It's hard. Did, you just not, did it not flow or what? It just doesn't flow. Um, I mean, there are all sorts of different reasons why. But, you know, I, interviewing can, can be quite difficult sometimes. Um just talking, I mean, getting that getting that flow with uh, Tim and my other co-host, Phil, that, that can be difficult at times, but you just need practice. You need practice over and over again. And people, you know, it's little things. Like, do you know when you, have you ever been on radio? Well, I know you have, actually, because I've listened to your, to your Exeter podcast, which, which you did a few years ago. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, it's little things, isn't it? Like, you can hear your voice in your earphones and just weird things put you off. Yeah, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, no, but I was sort of, the thing that I find... 
Because I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't sort of, if you're with, say, someone that you got on real well with, or you had a couple of mates you got on real well with, and you just sort of spoke to a microphone, I don't, I, it's sort of thinking, like, oh, well, it can't really go far wrong, because I'll just, we'll just speak about stuff we know and that kind of stuff. But I'm wondering how, if you need someone who directs the conversation a little bit, because you just, you could just end up talking about absolute nonsense. Exactly and right. While you find it might really entertaining, other people might listen and just be like, what on earth are these idiots talking about yeah well i'm very very fortunate because tim tim is a very very good uh good prof- professional presenter so whenever we you know go off on a tangent about last chance you for 15 minutes uh tim will <laughs> tim will bring like bring us back to doing whatever so yeah that that's basically why you get better at it but you know it, yeah you know, being a really good good good, good good presenter is 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 hard and that's why the guys who are really good get paid paid as much as they as much as they do because loads of people want to do it but not many people can yeah but the thing it's weird though but when i listen when i actually listen to podcasts, i'm probably the only i listen to a, a few a little bit but the one the, the main one that i listen to especially when i'm driving is is the joe rogan yeah and my favorite ones that he does are the ones that he does with joey diaz because he's just like talking about like and it's just i just find it like i'm literally belly laughing the car find it <laughs> hilarious with the one and sometimes the ones that i don't like so much is when he brings like these people on who are like experts in their field and it's just like kind of like it's a one it's a one track road, and they're just talking about like you know whatever it is. I prefer, I, I actually prefer the ones where he's sort of just like you know. So, but then see, it wouldn't be up everyone's list if you want to listen to something for a specific reason. Whereas these two are just like oh, clearly they get on really well, and they're just talking about whatever comes to mind. Like, yeah. I, do you know what I think the problem is with that? I think the problem is you've got two guys there who have got between them something like... I mean, Joe Rogan's got something like 30 years' worth of stage experience and acting experience. You know, there yeah. are not many people who are more naturally prepared to do what he does than him. And then you've got someone like Joey Diaz, uh, you know, again, got something like 20 years' worth of stand-up experience, naturally, you know, professionally funny. And the problem with it is that when you hear that, you think, oh, I can do that, no problem. I think hundreds and hundreds of people, thousands of people even now, up in... Uh, you know, all around the world are thinking, yeah, I can do that. And the reality of it is what they do is so good because they've got so much experience doing it. Do you reckon? Oh, definitely. Sorry, Harry, you've just gone a bit muffled there. Sorry, I said, oh, maybe more science than art then. Yeah. I... equal part of science and art. I don't really not too sure. Art yeah. being just... Off the cuff, like maybe they're actually just uh, it's more considered than you think. Maybe tell Thomas what happened to your to your podcast because you did do one, didn't, didn't you? Um, I can't remember. I don't know. Well, we, we did do it kind of in the, two years ago. We were doing it like pretty sort of banging it every week. Yeah, for for a while, um, and then last year kind of just fell off a little bit. and We just weren't doing it as much. We haven't done for one for a good while. Actually, I'm not really too sure. Mark the fella, who, I think Mark the fella who, who does it is actually keeps it up and, he, and he's is keen to do it. Uh, you should do I'm not too sure. I think, I think, I think our, you know, maybe the sort of, you know, the, the incredibly low listen, listen <laughs> incredibly small amount of listens maybe put us off a time where we thought it was going to, it was going to blow up a little bit. This is going to go viral. 200 average listens and then when Jack Noel comes on and gets a thousand listens, we're a bit like, <laughs> what more have we got to do? We're giving these people gold every week and we're getting absolutely nothing Exactly. What do these people want? <laughs> I don't know. I was putting my heart. I was, you know, I was laying myself bare for the whole of, you know, East Devon to uh, to see. And you know, Knowles goes on there and talks about the Lions and gets five times our amount of listens. You know, I put any man off. And unbelievable. Well, try just try and put it straight on Facebook Live or try and put it straight onto YouTube. 
What put the put the, put the podcast on YouTube? I, I I don't think it did much better, mate, on YouTube. I I, mean, I think we. I, I think this though. year we might give it. We might give it another crack. Definitely. But I just think we'd have to. We'd have to. Uh... But it's weird though because I think sometimes it can be a little bit restricting only because you can you basically you're you're fairly limited to what you can speak about. Yeah. And it has, and I think we I think we had some real good ones. But I think sometimes we sort of we got you 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 the what. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's when, when you can go on like little tangents and stuff like that, but you can't really, if you're doing a, if you're doing a podcast for such a specific reason. Yeah, exactly. If you're doing the sport. Maybe, that, maybe that's what kind of sometimes me and Alec, maybe, maybe when we stand a little bit like, yeah, I don't know. What's the right word? Not, not, not quite good, maybe. I, I do know what you mean, because, you know, if you're doing it under the brand of Exeter Chief, say, and, you know, you've got sponsors and all the rest of it, you can't really deviate too much from what, you know, from what you should be talking about. You know, you couldn't say anything controversial about anything like that. You just can't, you can't do that. Yeah, but I wouldn't say anything controversial about any that kind of stuff. But anyway, I mean, you really, put, you put, you are, okay, not controversial, but you probably just <laughs> wouldn't touch it, touch it with, with, you know, with a barge pole. And actually, yeah. you know, why I suppose, would you? I think I think it is hard. I think that when you're you when you're a professional uh, athlete, you represent the company that you work for. Yeah. So you can't really, even if you wanted to say something, you 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 you, you can't say it, and that's you know that's just the way it is. Which is why probably players find their voice a lot more after they retire because they're not actually with holding to to speak in a particular way they kind of say what they want a little bit and they they might not do because they don't want to be seen as like a dick around the the players around the league the players they probably want to work with Mm. but you know that's the only thing that would really stop them you are you can pretty much say what you want to retire because no one's going to tell you otherwise yeah that's an interesting one right so have you ever been in a situation right where a player because i don't i don't believe this for a second for um uh the record but have you ever been in a situation where a player has spoken to the press and said something and you as a team or a unit have felt let down? Because I don't, I don't think that's a real thing. I just think teams do it because they can't be bothered with the blowback or, you know, there's, there is one message and that's it. And all the boys have got to stick, stick to the message. I don't believe it affects the team one bit if you decide to say something or if someone else decides to say something. I just don't see it. No, I think that... Mm. So I think you've got to have freedom of speech, but I think you basically you make the choice to not to not sort of go outside. You want to be seen. You, you do want to be seen as a unit. And if you're told, or if you're sort of said, "Look, this is how we want to be seen," I think a lot of the players, yeah, they, they 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 probably can't be asked with the with the fallout of saying something controversial. Or it's just not not in them really. Like 
I, I personally, I wouldn't ever want to say anything controversial because I just wouldn't. I just don't want the. I don't want the ag really. I don't think anyone really wants the ag because you are inviting so much on so much potential trouble onto your onto yourself. And you know who really wants that? Yeah, but I, I guess it's more the point that you know teams make a big deal about. Oh yeah, uh, he he let down the team, or you know this you know, this is going to leave a bad impression or such. I, I just don't think that's really a thing. I I almost think it's people making jobs up for themselves in media roles. I think it comes a little bit. I think the, the thing is, it's weird. It's everyone, everyone's pretty much in in the sort of the whole media thing. Everyone is kind of out for themselves a little bit. On the like, the journalists don't, you know, they don't get cash for putting out stories that have no punchline <laughs> or anything interesting. And in, you know, say, oh, nothing happened today. Exeter Chiefs players trained this morning <laughs> and went quite well. Like they that's not going. They, they are still trying to grab grab punchlines, and they don't really care about the players. So. I have. I must say that since I've, since I've, uh, old or more senior, I've got. I suppose with playing and that, I, I, I do watch what I say more. Not, and it's not even that I say anything controversial in the first place. But I just watch what I say more because you don't want to seem like a pillock. Because the, the way the articles can be. Oh yeah. The way the articles can be like, oh, you know, he said this, and you're like, oh, I, I did actually say that, but you took, I mean, I didn't mean it like that, and that that kind of thing. That was. Is the, it, I think you just you need to be you need to check and double check what you say because you just don't want to come across like an. And I, some people don't care like they they, they can have stuff written about it. It's just like water for dogs, but it's kind of it kind of affects me a little bit i don't want to i don't want to be you know maybe it's like a narcissistic thing but you don't want to be just considered as an idiot to people who, who read an article about you you know yeah uh, well actually let's just go back a second right because um you mentioned i mentioned before youtube to, to you um do you know actually the last time i watched you do anything because obviously we've been in the off season now was was on youtube do you know what i was watching what were you watching Matt? i was watching you getting interviewed by josh from love island all oh, right, the sport bible thing, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Two worlds collide right 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 there. No, that was uh that was actually quite good. No, that was all right. It was quite it was sort of a bit I don't know. You the, seem the you... forced fun thing doesn't sit too well with me. I don't I can't pretend to be having a good time as well as some people some people are very good at it and you know that that's uh but I was it's as it's weird so I just I, as the day wore on I actually did start having more of a good time, but I don't really Someone gets a camera in your face. Go right now. Start having fun. It's like I find it very difficult. <laughs> Some players fo- don't find it quite as difficult. I don't think. And I just, but you know, turn phone up I, to twelve, I, please. Yeah, we need we need you to seriously start having fun right now. Yeah, so I find that I find that a little bit a little bit difficult. But it actually it was a bit. It was definitely it was definitely a good afternoon. I think that it was. They were, where did they finish on the one fourth? No, no, where, third, where, third. Where, uh, Meg and Wes finished fourth. They finished third. Did they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So hang on. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Third. I actually thought he came across quite well in the in the end. It was very clear. No, I think he did. I think he. I think. I think. I think he is. I don't actually. I don't know how. That to be fair, it was, it was such a landslide victory. They got like eighty percent of the votes. That's ridiculous. Yeah, like, I can't. That is like because they got a lot of seventy nine or eight percent. Everyone else got about five percent of the votes left, or like max like eight percent. It's like Jesus Christ. There's only one agree. winner. There's only one winner from day one. They literally had it won. Two yeah. weeks in, I reckon they had it won. Completely agree. Uh, as much as I enjoyed this series, right, um, I did feel the last two weeks were f- so dull because there was nothing happening. You you couldn't catch them. Mate, up. I stopped. I, I stopped watching the, the 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 final episode. I did as well. I couldn't. I was be, like, couldn't I was be bothered. Like, what's, what this is just crap. Like, what's going on here? 
Yeah, I, I've, I've got to say uh, as well, just going back to your sports Bible thing, there were times in that clip when your uh, lack of love for forced fun uh, it came through. Do you think it did? Yeah, yeah, once or twice. You've, you've, you've... What did I say at the beginning of this conversation, mate? People appreciate sincerity. People probably watch that and they think it's brilliant. At, le- at least he's at least he's being honest. People can see straight through. Everyone, oh, you know, these like crocodile laughs that they're giving off and stuff like that. It's like no one finds it that funny. Guy falls over and falls on his ass. You know, no one finds it that funny. Yeah, where studs? No yeah, no. There was, I think it was. Just, but then again, you know, he's sort of you can't be running around a pair of twenty ones, can you? When you're trying to sort of do one of these lad Bible things. Yeah. I, 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 I believe that, that I'll tell you what was a better one the better thing of that was when they asked us just the questions it was just like they're going around asking us the questions like what do we think is the toughest sport or who was a sporting hero when young those, I think that, sort of, that, was the, that was the better part of the, the, the two the two bit series there. well what well what is what is tougher than um, propping because I can't think long of distance that. cycling and I said it then and I'll say it again long no. distance cycling hardest sport in the world there's no there's no question and, and, and they asked me to reconsider my answer and I said to him, I reconsidered it, and it's the hardest sport in the world. I don't see how anyone can dispute that. That's interesting. Oh, it's different types of hardness, I guess. I mean... No, mate. No, yes. it is not. Of course There's it one is. one type of hardness, and you're cycling for 45 minutes of a gradient of a hill, which you could barely... It's like cycling in glue. There's no hard. There's nothing hard. Well, you've got to do that about three weeks in a row. Yeah, but they Impossible. are... I, I, I do get it, right? And it is... It, it is quite astonishing what they do, but it's very hard in a very specific way. I mean, it's not hard like, you know, you won't get the adrenaline rush or the fear as you would, you know, walking into the you know the UFC cage or scrummaging yeah. like you do in front of you know the Twickenham crowd. I mean, that that'd be terrifying. The octagon was actually my second answer, and I did actually when they asked me to reconsider, I did briefly consider it. Maybe then I'm thinking the thing you had to get over would be. Um, getting, I suppose, like kicked in the head and getting hospitalised, which is obviously quite hard, which is quite a physical. But I think if you're that way inclined, I think with that, I think with that sport, the more I watch it, and the people who do it are at complete just nutcases because you have to be. Mm. There's no, it's not like there's no, there's no other sport like that where you can, where not even boxing, I wouldn't say, where you can, you you are every time you go in there, there is, you know, you are putting yourself in seriously in arm's way because you're going into the cage with another like killer, trained killer. Yeah. And I, I appreciate that's like quite a big mental hurdle to go over. But just as far as like physical, physical toughness, it's, it's got to be long distance cycling. Long distance, yeah. I mean, long distance cycling is is a tough one. But it kind of falls in the same thing as ultra marathons and those sorts and those sorts of people. I mean, it's well, just... I like then those blokes are just having a laugh. At them. They're just they're jo- just jogging for th- for three days. Like it's not <laughs> jogging not for three days. Well, <laughs> <laughs> you know that's not you know. To be fair, we when we were in South Africa, they just finished a hundred kilometer run, and there were these people like walking around. They were in these like orange t shirts to say they just finished it. It was in a uh, Durban. And they look so sore, bless them. I can't even tell you. The chafe and their feet oh, must have been... I, what shoes could you run into to run in that? I don't even know what shoes. Surely there's no shoe on earth that could withstand that. Go barefoot. I mean, I think, I think it is getting... Go barefoot. Yeah, I think it's getting to that stage. I, I tell you, when I think that running's gone too far, right? Have you, you might not have seen this, but I've seen it a few times because obviously, you know, there's lots of middle-aged people jogging, jogging around where I live. But when they start bleeding from the nipples, have you ever seen that? I actually, to be fair, I, I was back in I was back in London this week and I was chatting to a lad who ran a marathon. Um, he's like a friend of a friend, and he said that he did it. And he said it, it happens like 
Like if his oh. nipple tape fell off, and he said it, it's like very cold, and he was like it was the worst bit of it all. Agony. I don't know I don't why really, I'd do it. I, I think it's standard. I, I, I can't. I can't see. I can't see the point. I tell you the other differentiating point as well about uh, sport. I think individual sport, you you do have to be a bit of a psychopath to do it to a high level because there's no one to rely on but you. Like the drive that individual sports people have is is it's just incredible. Uh, incredible, actually. At least you've got your mates. I always, you know, I always wonder, like, if they someone wins or like say Federer wins a tennis or whatever. Yeah, I wonder if it is like because the th- part of the thing about you know sort of, a couple of years ago when we when we won the when we won the premiership it was like we we won and you're sort of celebrating it with your friends and it's not like you're celebrating with like someone who's trained you or someone who's been your like physio you're like obviously you celebrate with those people as well but you are celebrating with people who were on the field with you and you and you sort of share the it's like shared sort of sense of accomplishment isn't it whereas yes. when you are individual i wonder if that makes i think if you are that more way inclined it probably makes it sweeter rather than bit more bitter because you're it's com- all the all eyes are on you rather than you know the team so i think it's just i think it's just the way which which way you swing really well i, I think some people are just more attuned to it than others yeah because i find doing individuals when i used to do it as like, like in school or something nothing would make me more nervous than starting a race playing rugby not not an issue starting a race because it's so lonely and there's only one place well there's nowhere to hide you either win or you lose yeah. and if you lose you're going to be embarrassed at least if you lose as a team you know, there's 15 other blokes and you can have a laugh about it. Well, sorry, 14 other blokes and you can have a, a bit of a laugh. But on your own, it's... Oh, I, I, and yeah, also, it's just like you... Yeah, going into a cage and getting knocked out. I suppose if you, if you deem it to be the rewards that much greater, because the, I suppose the pressure's higher and that, so when you actually do come through, like that was just... Yeah, but I always think maybe, maybe it is, maybe it's lonely at the top and lonely at the bottom like that, because you don't... When you come through, you're like, all right, well, that's it then. Yeah. yeah but then, I suppose, I suppose when, when Conor McGregor beat Nate Diaz and he had that massive after party and everyone was going mental and he was sort of on there throwing money in people's faces like maybe he felt quite good anyway I tell you what that actually is one of the most impressive things I've seen which is to get beaten by a man who's much bigger than you and then decide to take the second fight I think that is an unbelievable men- mental fortitude and, and it was it was it was really really that was just ridiculous fight do you, do you like do you like UFC I, I used to watch it a lot. I've stopped watching it as much now, but I used to, you know, I watch all sports. But yeah, I thought that Conor McGregor series of going up, what, two or three weights from where he was, lo- he to, yeah. losing, right? And you think, oh, well, okay, bigger man, so on and so forth, learn his lesson, come back down. No, no, no. I'm going to go back to that weight. I'm going to go back and fight the same guy who beat me by, you know, well, some distance. When, if you listen to all his post match stuff, I think he play, he only. Obviously, Diaz beat him, but I think he saw him. He was the, he was the main factor of why he lost that fight because he was so much bigger. Yeah, that and he would, and he was just like throwing the kitchen sink in the first round. And the thing that both Diaz brothers have is they just got ridiculous um, engines and they just won't stop. So when he started getting tired, and I don't think he thought he was going to get tired, and when he started like his he's he was sort of starting getting a lot less active and he was throwing a lot less. And then Diaz just came through and just kept like tagging him I think that's the way I think that both the Diaz brothers that's just the way they find they're incredibly hard to break down aren't they both aren't they both quite into cycling yeah cycling running I think they're like, they're really, they're like aren't they? triathletes all that kind of stuff yeah they're like they, they've got actually quite like a, an interesting approach like when I, when I, I watch some sort of stuff on Nick Diaz you know, I really like Nick Diaz and I like Nate as well but I really like Nick mm. and he's they, they just never their sort of attitude like never shaking hands 
with anyone or never before the fight, never like touching gloves or anything like that. Their, their sort of approach to it is like, well, it's not a sport. It's it's like as close you're going to get. It's like fighting to the death. So why would you, you actually, you're, these people like come through and they like wish each other like really well and hugging something. Like you're actually <laughs> trying to kill this person. So how are you going up and touching gloves with them? And at the end, I think they probably do do it, but it's like they they have a completely different attitude to, 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 to the fight. Which a lot of people, when you see people like, Wonder Boy Thompson, that kind of thing, who are like overly nice, and they, 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 he seems very genuine. They just see it a completely different way. Well, do you know, I think a lot of that is a release of tension, because all the build-up is, you know, it's, do you like when, do you like when a room is experiencing a bad speech, and then you get the nervous laugh, and that kind of breaks up, you know, break, like breaks up the tension, and then, then it's fine. I kind of think that that's basically what's going on, which is they are, they're just releasing the tension. They've built this up for so long. They've been camped for so long. And you see the guy across the ring, you're like, oh, yeah, good luck, mate, because we're in this together. They're the only two people in the world that know how that feels at that time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I suppose would be, be quite, it would be, to ever be able to have that, I suppose, would be like a, it would be a cool, it would be a, definitely be a cool experience, I think. Do you, do you think that there's any analogies here to playing front row? Because I always think that front row is the most individual position on the, on the field, in terms of your one-on-one battle, do you think it is? I'm not. I'm not really too sure. I think. I think, I think it can be, but I don't think there isn't actually. Well, so I'll I don't really try and get involved with the other with the other player really or anything like that. Just sort of just 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 do your own thing. Do you know what I mean? It's like. Yeah, no, I don't. I think it, I think it is, but not. I, it is in the sense that you you could you make you are very up close and personal with the person you're playing against. But I think that. Especially the higher up you get, the the, the mechanic, like how well your scrum functions and how how unified you are pushing together and like that plays like as as as, as, as much for a big part or a bigger part than the props in the front row. You think it's more a function of process than it is one on one battles now? I think I think that, I think that you have to you have to be able to be in a good position and push the other person back. But I think that, like it's as important having a decent scrum around you that wants to that wants to scrummage that, that, that that's that's as important as, as as you being a half decent player yeah so you know, basically i always thought of propping in in this in sense of like yes it is a team game but if your scrum's going backwards i mean if your scrum's going forwards uh, they tend to say oh um, extra have got a, you know a great scrum if you're going backwards it's very rarely extra have got a bad scrum it's you know what so and so is really struggling? Yeah, yeah. Oh, they're gonna have to change that prop. It's never we're gonna have to change the second row, or they're gonna have to change the engagement sequence. No, or... That's a good point, actually. That really, it's never unless it's like very, very individual ones where it's clearly one person doing all the damage, and they'll say, "Oh, he's he's, he's causing them real trouble." Trouble. Yeah. I suppose in that sense, it is, it is quite especially when you're when you feel like you're under the pump, and every time you're setting up, and you're like, "Oh, Christ, here we go again." Yeah. But I think it's just as time goes on, like that kind of. When you're younger, I think that kind of stuff well, got me, it certainly got me down. But then when you get older, you just like got to be more stoic about it, and it's you just got to think, you know, just chalk it up to one of them. It's, it happens. It happens to everyone. There's no one. There's no proper live who has a perfect record. There's no rug player live who has a perfect record. Everyone at some point has been shoveled by yeah. someone else. And it's interesting, actually. Uh, you know, I I love watching scr- scrummaging. I, I mean, I really really love wa- watching scrums. But you do find that certain lads who are absolutely dominant one week, it's almost like fighting. Like it's it's more about the matchup than anything else. It's one yeah, I week... think so. Yeah, I think it can be. But it's not. It's actually there are, it's quite a niche market. I don't think that many people are actually that interested in it. Yeah, and they certainly don't tend to be pretty girls. They normally tend to be older, 
heavier men. So <laughs> that's only from what I've, my experience has taught me anyway. Well, I, I, if I've not said this a million times, I've, I've basically said nothing. But the, 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 in fact, I think Exeter did it. I think, I, I think you might have. It was maybe the first scrum of the... Yeah, yeah, yeah it was actually. Uh, first scrum of the final against Saracens. And the ball just sat in the tunnel for what felt like five minutes. I mean, it probably was like 20 seconds. But neither scrum could move, neither hooker could lift, lift, lift up his foot. I thought, that is glorious. If we're not celebrating this as, as rugby fans, we shouldn't be watching this game. Go and watch rugby league. Go and watch football. But that's <laughs> glorious. Yeah. I think, oh, I think it was you guys. But I actually remember the scrubbing questions before I watched. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, it, I, I mean, and here is the thing about rugby, okay, about rugby commentary, as kind as I've been to been to everyone so far. Do you ever watch rugby league? Um, not really. No, or maybe like, nah, I can't actually. Not like very few, like a smattering of games. Okay, so just turn on any random game of rugby league. Think of the worst game you think of. Uh, you know, I, you know, uh, Wakefield versus Salford, circa 2007, right? Any game you want. And you listen to the commentary, and by 10 minutes in, you would be convinced that you're watching the greatest game of rugby league <laughs> ever played because the commentators are so keen. I wish they would take that that attitude, particularly... More like, sens- more like sensationalist. Yeah, but, but they're, maybe they're just so into it. I mean, this is what I think, actually. I do think that the rugby league guys are so into it. They do believe that this is simply the best game they've ever seen since last time Wakefield played Salford. Um, and I kind of think <laughs> that maybe, maybe they should be more excited about things like scrimmaging. And if you're a, a pundit, you you should make it your business to go and, you know, learn about scrimmaging and get excited about it every time. Because it's amazing. I don't know. Really. It's... I mean, it's like the whole culture of is not particularly, or rugby union is particularly sensationalist. I think it's more... Oh, it's kind of the whole the whole stiff upper lip thing, isn't it? That's that's sort of, they, they, that's held like it's quite. It, it needs it needs to be seen seen as so. I think they don't they don't no one wants to go like mental over anything really. They just sort of want to yeah, but they mean just kind of steady steady away. Yeah, maybe, but they good, but they go pretty mental over Johnny May or you know um, yeah, I suppose so. like I suppose, I suppose it, like Woodburn tearing down down. I mean, the, the, what annoys me right is there is so much hyperbole about oh skills and you know wonder tries this 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 and the other skills is the one which gets me because all we should do as rugby fans is lord lord uh what new zealand do great but what about the basics what about the mall what what, what i mean the line out is a fascinating battle scrums are fa- and these are the little things that we should be champion, championing and getting the neutrals interested well, to be fair, in. i do i do think i do think dave flatman does do that so oh yeah 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 up, he up, really big does up dave flatman for that but you know the the, the other Ben Wilfers. Maybe they need to like take a little bit of a look at themselves. I'm not too sure. Yeah. Now I, I think when you say rugby culture, uh, rugby culture is dominated by the printed press, and some of these guys are so miserable about the game. I mean, you would think they had the worst job on earth. They get paid to watch rugby and write about it. How how good's that? <laughs> I think it is pretty sweet gig, to be fair. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Yeah, so uh, yeah, that, that, that's that, that's just my view. So we should do more of the rugby league stuff and just lord it continually. Yeah. No, I, I'd have to agree with you there, mate. You know, of course, you are entitled to your view, <laughs> freedom of speech and everything, as we uh, as we as we previously mentioned. Exactly. Um, you involved in this um, in this round of England camps, uh, Harry? Uh, well, I was involved in the one uh, just gone, the beginning of August, and I'll find out. Um, 
when I were involved in the next one, which I think is in September. You so think... you find you find you find out closer to the time they don't they don't sort of tell you like, oh, you're going to be involved here. You're going to be involved. Here. You just you just wait till the squad come when the squad gets announced, or, and you know. Do and you, then you go? Do you get a text or do you hear about it from the Telegraph like everyone else? Uh, you we see it on the well for the, the Six Nations or the or the Autumns or whatever you see on the screen at the same time as everyone. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. You feeling uh, you feeling confident? Uh, I, 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 I'm not too sure really. I hope so. Like, yeah, I, I feel, I, I, I need to play well in the next in the next sort of series of games for for a variety of reasons. I need to sort of just get back playing a string of games. Hopefully, get sort of my tip, like absolute tip top match fitness back because I've I've sort of not really I haven't actually started a game for anyone since January. So it's Is that been right? A real long time. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. I was injured for. I was it. I started against Glasgow in January, um, and then I was on the bench for three Six Nations games, and I was on the bench for another one, and then I sort of another niggly injury, and that sort of brings us up to around about now. So I, I just need to. I, I think I need. I just want to just focus on playing and hopefully nailing down a few, uh, you know, a few appearances sort of at the start of the year, and then we'll we'll go from there. You know. Do you think the Exeter setup help helps you? And what I mean by that is when I think of Exeter, I don't really think of outstanding individuals i think of an outstanding unit so you know i always think that like the whole front row dovetails with the three guys guys on the bench better than better than any any other team do do you think that 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 helps you you know when you're looking for further honors or in a way do you think that you just get lost within that team within that team effort no 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 i don't i think that i think things are changing a little bit on that front for exercise and i think that we had to have more as you would say, outstanding individuals we may have done in the past, but I think we sort of, the way the team gets assigned a culture, you kind of, it's very hard to change that and people, like, there, there, there could be a, say there could be a game exit a player and they could have 15 internationals on the field, but they'd still be seen as like the kind of decent unit who got promoted from the championship and I think that's just the way things are because you, you get kind of typecast yeah. into a particular thing. But no, I don't, it's never, the, the, the setup X has never helped, it, it, it's propelled me forward rather than held me back. It's been, you know, it's been a massive benefit to me. I never, I never, because the thing is, I, I feel, I feel the reason why we, why the bench and the starting front rows were well for Chiefs is because we got decent depth, and when we train, we train hard, so we improve. And I feel that's that's sort of why it works. And while we may come asunder like now and again, sort of in particular matchups, for the most part, we do well because, or you know, in that in that department, is because of how we train and and also the depth we got across the board. Yeah, I, I wonder if there's an element of it in Exeter because they use so much of their so much of their squad. I mean, I, you very rarely look at an Exeter team and think, "Oh, weak link" or "Oh, you know, not a starter." You, know, you yeah. a lot of people can be interchanged and think, "Oh, yeah, it's still a good, uh, 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 still a good team, still a good team." I wonder if it's that culture of using so like the wider squad, which actually strengthens strengthens you so so much more. I'd say it's probably, but it all fundamentally comes down to to to, to Rob and the other coaches because the they they've recruit a squad that are strong across the board so you don't feel that it's everyone you feel you're going to bring in is a, a decent you know maybe even sort of you know for some situations better than better than another player but I, I think that the the buck probably starts and ends with the, with the coaches there and the, the the squad they've built so how on earth did they go about finding you then because I mean I, actually I'd, I'd like to talk about Jersey later because I think it's a really interesting club but I mean it's not, Jer- it's not, about, it's not about Danny's situation is it every there <laughs> no no <laughs> it's definitely not that definitely That's not really that <laughs> Just give that one birth. Um, yeah, because like, it's not the natural place to go and you know hunt, um, hunt your next prop. 
Um, well, yeah, when I went there, it was because Steve Bowden was there. Um, okay. And he basically phoned me up because uh, he was sort of interested because I'd, I'd been there with Nottingham and he said he sort of the, saw some saw thought that he thought that I could I could I could go well there and they have notoriously had um they've they, they've sent on a lot of front row from there so there's been like me um Pe- Petrus Duplassi uh, was he there Barrington no Petrus Duplassi was there's me Barrington Elvis Sam Lockwood plays for Newcastle Jake yeah. Woolmore Jake Armstrong two props just signed for Bristol. Um, if there's anyone I've got, I'm not sure. They, they, they've had a lot of turnover in there, but from my experience, when I was there, it's because Steve was put so much emphasis on it. I'm not sure what the new Ford's coach is like, whether he's the same as, as Steve, who's now at Leeds. Mm. Um, but when I was there, it was, there was a massive emphasis put on it. And he was, it was, there was pressure. You know, there was pressure on you to, to go forward and to get scrum penalties and stuff like that. And it does stand you in good stead because I there it was very cut and dry with Steve is like, you know, you either go forward and you've had a good game or you get shoveled and you've had a shit game. Interesting. So, yeah, but no, he was, it was, he was very, he, he really, really helped me. Steve Foden, when I was there, really helped me. And, and, and he's the guy that put, put you in touch with, in touch with Exeter. Uh, no, no, he didn't put me in touch with Exeter. Rob, uh, Rob basically contacted me. When really? I went, it was around February time. He contacted me and I went over and oh, did you, the medical and the sort of the, physical battery of tests and then they they offered me a offered me a uh, a contract shortly after. So what is because I always hear from Exeter players that you know Rob Baxter has a process and the process basically is a sit uh, a sit down and a chat. Was that kind of your experience was it a bit different to that? Yeah, I think every 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 new player who gets signed who comes in had to go through the same things you basically go into the club you look around a club you get like a, f- a physical from uh, Jamie, the head physio. Then you go like through a battery of tests with the uh, SNC, and then you speak with. So if you're a back, you speak with Ali Heifer and Rob. If you're a forward, you speak with Rob Hunter and, and, and Rob Baxter. And they speak to those speak to me for about an hour and a half. I think just about like with my background and why I played, and then about my actually where they thought I could improve and what they thought I did well. And they and then he showed me like uh like a load of clips that he'd seen of me and they were oh, really like from like the last 10 games and i was like christ like he's really really got so much research he got into it Did um, and i was like I was, I was a bit like a little bit taken aback to be fair do you find that quite flattering i mean i think i'd find that very very flattering i find it flattering i like, didn't believe i didn't believe it was going to be that extensive i was just sort of thought he was gonna be like oh yeah i think you're right and maybe you could sort of come here but it was like it was like serious mm-hmm. research but then if you look at mm-hmm. if you look at the Success that Exeter have had with other Championship players, and you know it's got to. You need to put it down to the coaches again because they're the ones that are doing all the all the research. Maybe which other coaches aren't doing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, people say, uh, and I have heard this many times. Uh, you know, it's a sit down, it's a chat with Rob Baxter. He likes to pick the character over the person. But I do think there's actually a lot more science behind the scenes than Exeter ever really let on. To, to be fair. Yeah, well, I think the thing actually, and what I quite like about it is it's quite. Because there's such a low turnover of players, mm. that you saw it's kind of a thing we we sort of just down on our own and we're just down. We we we're quite isolated. I'd say we're, we're the most isolated Premiership team. We're sort of a bit out of the way, and we just we just sort of go about our business, doing our doing our own thing. And I quite like it like that. It's not it's not like we're sort of the, you know. I think I do think sorry, just go back to the low turnover of players is, is is what is the main contributor towards that. How do you measure your success as a, as a player? How when you come off a field, how do you say, yeah, I've had a good. You know, what, what makes you think I've had a good game today? 
I think I, I think I'm pretty pragmatic with it. Like I don't I don't try and be too hard on myself, and I don't try and uh, I don't I don't I don't try and like kind of go over the top either. Like it's just I, I think I'm not, I just to be fair, like you you know I think everyone knows they know whether they're a good game or not, and it's pretty with, with for a front row. It's pretty it's pretty easy. You, you've done well in the scrum. You've done well otherwise in set pieces the more than that, and you've you know made a few big tackles and yeah cleared some people out. It's not you don't re- It's quite it's pretty simple though. You but people. I think, I think people know, but a lot of the time players they probably don't want to let on that they didn't have a bad game or they're sort of unbelievably hard on themselves, so they never had a good game. So it's a bit like I think you need to kind of probably find a bit of a balance between the between the two and just be just be honest with yourself. Really, I think I don't know. Really, I don't. There's no real method to it. I just just think I know. Yeah. Whether I have or whether I haven't. Well, there's, I was at an old interview I listened to with Johnny Wilkinson years and years and years ago, and the interviewer said, well, "You know, how do you rate yourself?" And he goes, "Hmm." Six. I was like, oh, six. And like his whole thing <laughs> like, always was, yeah, six, because I know I'm better than average, but there's so much more to work on. I was like, oh, right, okay. So that's probably why uh, I never got past level seven. <laughs> yeah, but I don't know, that guy's just a different, different animal, isn't he, really? Wilkinson. Like, yeah. He's just unbelievably committed and stuff like that. I, did, I, I don't, I, I would find it difficult to be that committed, I think. I, 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 love, I love the game and that kind of stuff, but I, I you know, I would find the monotony. I'd probably find a little bit hard. Yeah, yeah. It 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 would be pretty. It'd be pretty difficult to be that obsessed by by one thing. Well, I don't think. I think if I think if you're that way inclined, it's like the labour of love. It's like you're doing something you love, so it's not hard. It's easy. You know what I mean? But I, I, I while I love the game, I couldn't ever. I couldn't ever wholly give myself over to it, like 100% consumed by it. Well, it's interesting. Like, you Sorry, I uh, 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 shouldn't have interrupted there. Um, yeah, I was going to say, um, it's interesting, you know, because the RFU, and I don't mean at the professional level, like, um, you know, all the pathways and, and stuff, although there might be some element of it. But the RFU, when they're talking to coaches, because I coach coach locally, the general, the general feeling is um, that you want rugby players with other outside interests and other sporting backgrounds and go out and go and experience things and become more well um more well-rounded players because well, more well-rounded players that played other sports turn into better, better, better rugby players later on in life. And I don't know if I buy that. The whole you know, be a well-rounded individual, you'll become a good rugby player. I kind of think you need to concentrate on rugby. I'm not sure which way it kind of falls, really. Um, yeah, and I think people, which is one of those things that sort of like people just people love the idea of it, and there are a guy who was a county-level cricketer and like goalie for Everton or something like that, you know, <laughs> yeah. Everton Academy. It's like, really, I think it's just, it's just down to the individual. You know, some, when I was a kid, I only really ever wanted to play rugby. I didn't want to do rugby and then athletics or anything like that. I wasn't particularly athletic, so I wasn't very good anyway. But it was like, I kind of, I just wanted to, to, to play rugby the whole time. I think if you're, if you, if, you, if the kid wants to, wants to play other things and let him do other things, it's not like, yeah. You know, they, uh, so, uh, they, you, so they're trying to just shoehorn this idea of having this like, well-rounded individual athlete is like that'll be the you know that this is what we need or the other thing with that is oh we need like rugby league players because rugby league like this this and this and it's like well if he's a good rugby union player then yeah but if not then <laughs> yeah that's a good point why why are you why are you trying to just like why are they automatically better than us well i do stuff i wonder if people have started to learn their lesson a bit now because the two sports i mean i do follow rugby league uh, a little bit and you know 
I do know that when rugby league teams and rugby union teams at the highest level train together, as they sometimes do, the rugby league boys are astonished by the size of of the rugby union lads now. I mean, it, you know, they're just not. I don't even think they're comparable sports now outside of very few positions. Maybe yeah. n- not even wing. Maybe like halfback or something or fullback. But I mean, yeah, like yeah, yeah. they're completely different. Look at Sam Burgess. He. Uh, he he should have been on paper a roaring success, just didn't work out for him. And he's probably the best rugby league player of this generation. Oh, he's no, amazing. But yeah, I think that he. Um, I'm going to call it. Yeah, I think that he. Um, what he what he left pretty. He didn't get that much of a fair crack at it. And he got what a year a year play, and then he went back to to play rugby, which I I personally think was probably the right decision for him. To be fair. Oh, obviously, but- I don't know the fella like Collins. Yeah, speak for him. I, I, I think that, would, that, that you would say that was probably the right thing because why would you stay doing something that you're sort of maybe not taking to that quickly? You've already played in a World Cup, which for most people is like a dream, or for, you know, you'd say for much any professional player's a dream. And then you got this sort of really cushy billet back playing rugby league, a sport you know you class at. Like, well, I'd, I'd have been straight back. Yeah, well, I, I mean, it does break both ways. I mean, I don't think he was ever a particularly good rugby union player. Although I think he could have been good, given more time. But there again, I don't think there's anyone in the world of rugby union that could go over to rugby league and, and do half of what of what he's done. They're, they're, they're just different beasts. Yeah, Not... I think they are. But no one... The, that, that, the, 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 the channel... It's not really two-way traffic. Is in league players come over to play union. There's no, there's no one really jumping out to go and play union who, who sort of try and play a league just, it just doesn't really happen you know, I'm not, maybe, maybe it's because they were winning maybe it's just because there isn't that much it's the money. interest I, I, it, it's, it's the money I think because I'll tell you the other thing which is really interesting is the amount of talent like the residual talent which is left in well from the north that should be playing rugby league which is now playing rugby union I mean Farrell came from Wigan uh, Eastmond Ford both the Fords Mike Ford you know that that's almost like the whole England playmaking access there. Yeah, you know. So, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm not, I'm not really sort of too sure what their sort of story of coming over was and all that kind of thing, like why they ended up playing uni or anything like that. Yeah, not really too sure. But it, it, I think it's just an interesting thing of like you know this talent. I mean that talent. I guess you know with slightly different economic circumstances, or you know if that game had been a little bit more successful than than it is, they probably would have stayed there. So you know it is what it is. Yeah, that's what it is. Well, I've left my toughest questions for last, if you don't mind. Um, please, please continue. Please continue, of course. Um, do you get your hair cut by the Exeter Barber? <laughs> I do I do get my hair cut by the Exeter Barber. I actually tried to interview him, uh, and he wouldn't... Did uh, you? Yes, I did, actually. And he wouldn't come on in case he upset the boys. What do you mean? Why would he upset the boys? Uh, well... So you've, got, you've, you've, got, you've, got his, you've got his... Uh... You've got his real name, the Exeter Barber. I, I have got the. Do you know? I don't have it off the top of my head, but we follow each other on 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 Twitter, and I'm, yeah. I'm going to tell you now. Uh, it's a little bit awkward to say this, but um, we might have been mocking some of the haircuts at Exeter because it is it is an eclectic range. Not everyone's got your flowing locks, but we did. Yeah. We we might have mocked so, um, so, some of the hair, and then he got in got in contact in contact with us on Twitter. So uh, anyway, we're now friends, and uh, yeah. What did we... you say? Was it was it an abusive message? No, 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 not um, not at all. But uh, you know, just a uh, just a little thing like. Sh- um... Well, who's what are you mocking? You're mocking mine, I assume. I absolutely. I I would never mock a man who's got the same hair as Triple H. I just wouldn't do that. 
Yeah, he's actually shaved his hair now. Hans Herms Helmsley. Yeah. The, uh, the thing <laughs> I find a bit, I said to, to um, because I was sort of chatting to, to, uh, to him about it, and he was sort of, and I said, I don't, honestly don't think it's a bad thing. I think it is like, any publicity is good publicity. Yeah. But I think that it's funny because people always give the abuse. Like, there's always like every team, if a few team, if a few lads with a few dodgy barnets, everyone's like, oh, they're barber. As if the team has <laughs> one barber who does the whole stream. It's like, obviously, people just think it's just like a phrase you use because no team has one barber. But Exeter actually do have one who does everyone's hair. Yeah. I'm saying so people, people, people think it's just like a conceptual person, but no, this person actually exists. Yeah, no, no. And he works, and you know, and he, uh, and he does do everyone's hair, and a fine job he does too. Yeah, well, I, he does an eclectic job. Uh, many, he, he's got a lot of range. Well, who, who's he not? You saw that eclectic. Uh, who would, I tell you, who were we talking about at the time? And by, uh, I think it might have been Luke, Luke Cowan Dickey. I've had a mullet now for about five years or uh, something. It just shows how long ago it was. It <laughs> <laughs> was a long-standing success of the show. It's been, uh, it's been going on so long. Exactly right. And the other thing, actually, Luke Cowan Dickey related, is um, uh, you don't disappoint me now, but you're not you're not one of these rugby players that likes rugby but loves Fortnite. Oh no, I play it, but. Not very well. my my housemates are actually downstairs playing it right now. I don't. It's not. It's not. I don't feel there's no. There's. No, it just doesn't. I do really. I do enjoy it, but I don't get addicted to 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 to, to, the, to the games. Like I don't. I, I think it's just like it is. It, I I see. I see it for what it is a bit of fun. It's not like for me. It's not like a way of life or a religion or anything like that. Which yeah, I think it is fast becoming for some people. Oh, for some of the lads, you know. Like, you know, we've spoke today about UFC and cycling and all sorts of things, you know, your last chance, you know, all the sort of things which I imagine the professional rugby players are into. And do you know what? More and more when I ask the question, what do you do with your spare time? It's uh, Fortnite. But it is fun. It, it is, is fun. Of, fun. of course it's fun. Of course it's fun. But it's just one of those things like, it's a generational thing. I'm getting old now. I'm, I'm, I'm 34. So, uh, you know, one of those things. Um, it is. But have, you, have you ever given it a proper try? Do you know, I haven't, and the reason I haven't is because, it's not because I don't have enough time, I could fit it in somewhere, right? I'm scared that it's going to be too much fun, and I'm sure it will be too much fun, but then what? What do I have to give up? Exactly, where, which piece of the pie needs to be sacrificed in order to make time for Fortnite? Yeah, I mean... Maybe... I don't, as I, 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 I say what I'd say about Fortnite, is I'm a, I'm a, a casual player, like I, I flirt in and out of it, but the thing is, I don't, I play it for the, for, I play it because I like, going in a squad with the lads and having like a laugh like I don't yeah and I know and I know the majority of the squads I'm with I'm a burden a real burden <laughs> well I guess I think the test of has it gone too far is if you go around to your mate's house carrying a flat screen TV and an Xbox I think that's when it's gone too far yeah I'd never, I'd never I think households should have one Playstation yeah when you start having th- three Playstation in three different rooms I think you I, I don't I don't I'm not for that at all um who are your housemates? Are they Exeter players? Uh, yeah, Alec Hepburn and James Freeman. Oh, strong house, that. Yeah, it's good, mate. It's, uh, we have a good laugh. So- solid. Right, mate. Well, thank you so much, for, so much for your time. We've been chatting for an hour and a half. Well, thank- thanks for having me, mate. That was, uh, was really enjoyable. Cheers. Excellent. Uh, oh, before you go, um, let's loop it right back to the start. Where can we find you on social media? Uh, at Harry Williams 91 Twitter. That's all fantastic right mate well best of luck with the season and we're gonna have to catch up at uh at some point in the uh 18 19 
uh, Premiership season and with you hopefully off to the World Cup as well. Wicked. Cheers, mate. Cheers, buddy. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.